Welcome to the Law with DK Williams. Giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 56. We're going to discuss birthright citizenship and the U.S. Supreme Court case, U.S. versus Wong Kim Ark which was decided in 1898, some 30 years after the 14th Amendment was passed. It's been in the news a lot lately. Obviously, Trump has made that an issue. And what did the U.S. Supreme Court have to say about it? What happened to Wong Kim Ark in 1898? And we shall get all into that. Now, there are two important points that I like to emphasize in all of these podcasts, and those points are illustrated well in this case. One, read a case before you make any real opinion about it. Uh, you can have an opinion, obviously. I have until I read this just uh, last week or in the past couple of weeks when I read this. My impression was, man, birthright citizenship, I'm not sure if that's a good idea. Therefore, maybe the the Constitution doesn't mean that. Well, that was a bad thought process on my part. Read the case. Now I see what the Supreme Court had to say about it. And I will pass that along to you. And as always, I've got a link to the actual case in the show notes so you can read it yourself as well, which I encourage people to do. Second point. Whether or not something is constitutional is an entirely different argument from whether or not something is a good idea. Again, this comes up all the time on social media, on the radio, on cable news. Someone's constitutional argument boils down to, this is a bad idea. It's bad policy. That's not how the Constitution works. So, one can say, birthright citizenship is a bad idea. That does not mean it's unconstitutional or it's not required by the Constitution. Completely separate analysis. And it's important to remember that. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. You can subscribe to The Law, other Speakeasy Idea podcasts, through your favorite podcast app, and go to speakeasyideas.com for all kinds of good information. And follow this podcast on social media. You can find out everything that's going on when new um, episodes are out other interesting things going on at the Supreme Court and legal issues of the day. Follow me on Twitter, this podcast, at The Law, D-K-W, and on Facebook.com slash The Law with D.K. Williams. I'd love to hear from you, and if you're so inclined, check all these social media things out, Twitter, Facebook, like, review, comment, subscribe, you know the spiel. And I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching, anything like that. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for more on that. Wong Kim Ark. Let me paraphrase from oyes.com. That's the site where I usually will link to the official language of each opinion. They do a good job of curating these Supreme Court cases. And for the modern ones, they actually have the oral argument that you can listen to, which is pretty cool. They don't have that for 1898, but for the modern ones, they do. And they can be really enlightening. And they have a little synopsis of what's going on. So I'm paraphrasing from Oyez about Wong Kim Ark. The Chinese Exclusion Acts... That's act, that was actually a thing. They, the U.S. Congress passed the Chinese Exclusion Acts. They denied citizenship to Chinese immigrants, so they moved in, right? Because at the time, you had the railroads going on, you had a lot of Chinese immigrants coming over to work to do labor. And there was a treaty with the U.S. and China that said any Chinese person in the United States could not become a naturalized citizen. So China didn't want them to become U.S. citizens. U.S. didn't want them to become U.S. citizens either. At least a lot of people didn't. They had the the statute passed. Now, Wong Kim Ark's parents were Chinese laborers. He was born in San Francisco. His parents were legal residents in the United States at the time of his birth. 
born in San Francisco. At age 21, he returned to China to visit his parents, who had previously lived in the U.S. for 20 years. When he came back from his trip to China, Wong was denied entry on the ground that he was not a citizen. What? How could that be? He wondered. The U.S. Supreme Court answered that question and said he was indeed a citizen pursuant to common law and the 14th Amendment, and we'll get into that. So the question presented in this case, is a child who was born in the United States to Chinese citizens' parents, and get this part, who are lawful permanent residents of the United States, is that child a U.S. citizen under the Citizenship Clause of the 14th Amendment? U.S. Supreme Court said it was, and it was a 6-2 vote in favor of Kim Wong-Art, and that's only eight, as you math people probably noticed. And there's nine Supreme Court justices. That's because one justice, uh, Justice Joseph McKenna, took no part in the consideration or decision of the case. Horace Gray was the Republican Supreme Court justice who wrote the majority opinion. He was nominated by Chester Arthur, one of our lesser-known presidents. And Gray served on the bench from 1882 until his death in 1902. He was 74 and prior to the U.S. Supreme Court. He had been on the Massachusetts Supreme Court, where he was Chief Justice. He was joined in the 6-2 majority opinion by David Brewer, also a Republican who had been nominated by Benjamin Harrison. Brewer was on the bench from 1889 until his death in 1910, and when he was 72 years old, he had been a federal circuit judge. I'd like to point out some of the stuff I think is interesting. I like to compare how long justices were on the bench 100 years ago, 150 years ago, whatever it might be, with what they do now. So you can see these two guys served until they died. But here are some. The next guy, Henry Brown, who's also in the majority, retired and went back to private practice. So Henry Brown, also appointed by Harrison, a Republican. He was on the bench for 16 years, 1890 to 1906. He retired and lived another seven years. And he had been a state judge uh, but lost re-election, and it was in private practice before his appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court. And I've mentioned this before. Sometimes these justices retire. They don't hang on to the bitter end, like David Souter. I, had, I did not know he was still alive, but he's been retired for, what, over a decade, 15 years, whatever it was? So he's still out there. He just didn't want to be on the Supreme Court anymore. Another justice in the majority in this 1898 Wong Kim Art case is George Shiras Jr., also nominated by Harrison, a Republican. He was on the bench for about 11 years from 1892 to 1903. He retired and lived another 21 years. He lived to be 92 years old. He, he is a private attorney before the Supreme Court appointment, which probably wouldn't happen today, but there's no reason it couldn't. It seems like modern history is Supreme Court justices are selected from lower court of appeals, federal court of appeals. Also joining a majority, Edward White, who was a Democrat. He had been nominated by Grover Cleveland. First, he was an associate justice from 1894 to 1910. And then he was promoted to chief justice, the ninth one ever, in 1910 until his death 11 years later, 1921, when he was 75. William Howard Taft nominated him to be chief justice from being just an associate justice. Prior to taking the Supreme Court bench, he was a senator from Louisiana. Again, that could happen today. It just doesn't seem as likely. Rufus Peckham. Also on the majority, and that's a great name, am I right? Rufus Peckham. He was on the Supreme Court from 1895 until his death in 1909, nominated by Grover Cleveland. He's a Democrat, had been a state judge in New York. There was a dissent. It was written by the Chief Justice at the time, Melville Fuller, who had been appointed by Grover Cleveland, a Democrat. 
He served from 1888 until his death in 1910, which happened to be July 4th, by the way. He was 77 years old. He'd been a state politician in Illinois and an attorney, and he hadn't argued before the U.S. Supreme Court before his appointment, so he was known by people in D.C. Also on the descent is John Marshall Harlan I, who I mentioned before. And I say John Marshall Harlan I because I mentioned his grandson, John Marshall Harlan II, on several occasions. JMH I is famous for being the lone dissenter in Plessy v. Ferguson the case that institutionalized the separate but equal doctrine until Brown versus Board of Education, some six decades later, overturned that. JMH1, very famous. We discussed Plessy in episode seven of The Law, so go back and check that one out. We followed that up in episode eight with Brown versus Board of Education because it overturned it. Makes sense to do them back to back, so check them out. Now, JMH2, the grandson, said in a dissenting opinion in Reynolds versus Sims, and this is one reason I really like this guy, And we discussed Reynolds versus Sims in episode 34, so check that one out too. But JMH2 said, The Constitution is not a panacea for every blot upon the public welfare, nor should this court be thought of as a general haven for reform movements. That should be edged in stone in every courthouse in the country. Alas, it is not. Then I mentioned McKenna, who took no part in the decision. He served from 1898, which is when this case was decided, until 1925. Been appointed by William McKinley. He had been the United States Attorney General, and he did retire from the bench about a year before he died at the age of 83. So those are the people making these decisions. All right, I know my audience. A substantial portion of you guys believes birthright citizenship is a bad idea. I get that. I understand it. Let's assume it is a horrible idea. Whether or not it is a horrible idea has zero bearing on what the 14th Amendment says. The Constitution, for example, allows for eminent domain, which I find an abhorrent idea. And we discussed that in Kelo versus City of New London in episode 20. So check that one out. Eminent domain is bad policy. That doesn't mean it is unconstitutional because it's right in the Constitution, in the Fifth Amendment. Now, the decision in Kelo was wrongly decided, but that's how the Supreme Court decided it. But the existence of eminent domain itself is specifically sanctioned in the Fifth Amendment Still bad policy, still a bad idea, but it's constitutional. The applicable part of the Fifth Amendment says, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. It should end before the last three words. So the point is, whether or not something is good policy, not the same argument or same discussion as whether or not something is allowable under the Constitution or is required under the Constitution. The Supreme Court in this 1898 case, Wong Wong Kim Art, They go back centuries and they discuss what subject to the jurisdiction thereof meant at the time and in English common law. What was birthright citizenship in the hundreds of years before the United States became a country, if anything? Because all American jurisprudence starts in the English common law. The Supreme Court here concludes that a person born in the United States to parents legally residing here are citizens. And that last part may or may not be important because Wong Kim Ark's parents were here legally, so they didn't address the issue, not specifically, about what happens to someone who was born here and their parents are not here legally. Let's get into that. All right, so Wong Kim Ark, born in 1873, even have his address. It was 751 Sacramento Street 
in San Francisco. Of course, I checked out that address on Google Maps. It looks like a really nice place today. And it's in Chinatown. And I'm not sure if I can say Chinatown because that might be racist these days. I'm not sure. I, I hope not. Let's get into the language of the court's opinion. The facts of this case, as agreed by the parties, are as follows. Wong Kim Ark was born in 1873 in the city of San Francisco in the state of California and United States of America and was and is a laborer. His father and mother were persons of Chinese descent and subjects of the emperor of China. They were at the time of his birth domiciled residents of the United States, having previously established and still enjoying a permanent domicile and residence therein at San Francisco. They continued to reside and remain in the United States until 1890 when they departed for China. And during all the time of their residence in the United States, they were engaged in business and were never employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the emperor of China. Wong Kim Ark, ever since his birth, has had but one residence, to wit, in California within the United States, and has there resided, claiming to be a citizen of the United States, and has never lost or changed that residence, or gained or acquired another residence, and neither he nor his parents, acting for him, ever renounced his allegiance to the United States, or did or committed any act or thing to exclude him therefrom. In 1890, and he must have been about 17 years old then, he departed for China on a temporary visit and with the intention of returning to the United States. He did return there too, by sea, in the same year, and was permitted by the collector of customs to enter the United States upon the sole ground that he was a native-born citizen of the United States. After such return, he remained in the United States, claiming to be a citizen thereof until 1894, when he, being about 21 years of age, again departed for China on a temporary visit and with the intention of returning to the United States. And he did return thereto by sea in August of 1895 and applied to the collector of customs for permission to land and was denied, this time, such permission upon the sole ground that he was not a citizen of the United States. So that's from the court's decision laying out the facts. I wonder if it's a different collector of customs in the five intervening years or he just changed his mind. One thing we're going to discuss is the pretentious Latin legal phrase, obiter dicta, which is an important legal concept. And we're also going to touch on legislative history, something for which I have much disdain as used far too often and improperly. But the court talks about it and they use it properly, I believe. So the court goes on. The question presented by the record is whether a child born in the United States of parents of Chinese descent, who at the time of his birth are subjects of the emperor of China, but have a permanent domicile and residence in the United States, becomes at the time of his birth a citizen of the United States, does he become a citizen? By virtue of the first clause of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, which says, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So the parents are not U.S. citizens, but they are here legally. This case does not apply, perhaps, to someone who is here illegally who gives birth because that was not Wong Kim Ark's situation. The Supreme Court, let's say if this issue came up to the Supreme Court again today, because that's, cause Trump wants it to, right? And they find a case and they get it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court may rule that Wong Kim Ark is not controlling, because Wong Kim Ark's parents were here legally, but they may not, because the language of Wong Kim Ark would apply to someone here illegally, and we'll get into that. The concept of being somewhere illegally wasn't really a thing 300 years ago, 400 years ago, under the English common law. Somebody from France could come over to Great Britain, and we'll talk about that. The Constitution does not define the words subject to the jurisdiction thereof. 1898 Supreme Court says, 
That language must be interpreted in the light of the common law, the principles and history of which were familiarly known to the framers of the Constitution. The language of the Constitution, as has been well said, could not be understood without reference to the common law. None of that is controversial at all. That's pretty basic stuff. So what was the common law? The Supreme Court here in this 1898 case goes back into history, hundreds of years. And they note, children born of England of such aliens were therefore natural-born subjects. So a French woman was in England hundreds of years ago, had a baby. That child was a natural-born subject, according to the U.S. Supreme Court here. Common law excluded children of foreign ambassadors, children born of foreign invaders while invading, because they were not born within the allegiance, the obedience, or the power, or as would be said at this day, the court says, within the jurisdiction of the king. These exceptions are important, but they are not in play in Wong Kim Ark's case. His parents were not diplomats, and they were not a foreign power invading the United States. Those exceptions still exist today. And the Supreme Court spends pages and pages on this history. I'll give you some examples, some highlights of that. In 1869, which is one year after the 14th Amendment was ratified in the U.S., so it's a contemporary statement. The Wong Kim Ark Court notes, Lord Chief Justice Cockburn, who was an English judge in 1869, reviewing the whole matter, said, By the common law of England, every person born within the dominions of the crown, no matter whether of English or of foreign parents, and in the latter case, whether the parents were settled or merely temporarily sojourning, traveling in the country, was an English subject, save only the children of foreign ambassadors, etc., or a child born to a foreigner during the hostile occupation of any part of the territories of England. That's pretty clear from 1869, the common law in the United Kingdom, upon which American, common, uh, American jurisprudence is built. So again, we have those two exceptions, which I don't want to keep repeating, but they're there, just be aware of them. Subject to the exceptions, it says, any person who, whatever the nationality of his parents, is born within the British dominions is a natural-born British subject. This rule contains the leading principle of English law on the subject of British nationality. That's a pretty clear statement, and it's a compelling argument for birthright citizenship. Again, the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, in a new case in 2020 or 21, whenever, could distinguish this Wong Kim Ark case because his parents were in the U.S. legally and say anything that this 1898 decision says is beyond the fact pattern and is dicta. That's the obiter dictum concept. Latin is not my forte, but obiter dictum is something said in passing. So legally, it's a judge's incidental expression of opinion, not essential to the decision and not establishing precedent. So they can make a comment about a case that's, or fact pattern that's not before them. And in Wong Kim Ark, parents being here illegally was not before them. So the argument would be trying to apply that to someone whose parents were not here legally doesn't work because they're different fact patterns, although they're very close. And that's the argument. Some modern pundits declare the Swan Kim Ark case as dispositive on birthright citizenship, even if the mother is in the U.S. without legal authority. All right, I dare not say illegally again. Because of these statements that the U.S. Supreme Court mentions, and I got a bunch of them in this case, but a modern court could with all legal legitimacy, declare Wong Kim Ark not applicable because, again, Wong Kim Ark's parents were in the U.S. legally. The modern court would not have to do that, but that argument could be made and perhaps bought by a modern court. We don't know. But the general statements in this 1898 case are clear. 
If you are born in the U.S., you are a U.S. citizen, subject to the dipl diplomat and foreign invading army thing. And that argument would be made in a modern case. Notice the exceptions that they keep mentioning don't say anything about the legal status of the parents of the person born in the U.S. Not mentioned at all. I mean, times have certainly changed in the past several hundred years. But sometimes when the times change and the law doesn't, the law is still the same. And if we're going to change the law, we got to change the law legitimately and not through Supreme Court edict. And of course, some modern pundits believe Wong Kim Ark was just wrongly decided and it should be just tossed out. And I've cited to one such article written by Andrew McCarthy in National Review in the notes. So check him out for another argument that says Wong Kim Ark is just wrong. I think he's in the minority, but there's the argument that's out there. The Supreme Court goes on in 1898 case. It thus clearly appears that by the law of England for the last three centuries, beginning before the settlement of this country and continuing to the present day, aliens, while residing in the dominions possessed by the crown of England, were within the allegiance, the obedience, the faith or loyalty, the protection, the power, the jurisdiction of the English sovereign, and therefore every child born in England of alien parents was a natural-born subject. The same rule was enforced in all the English colonies, the Supreme Court continues, upon this continent down to the time of the Declaration of Independence and in the United States afterwards and continue to prevail under the Constitution as originally established. The Supreme Court cites an 1804 case, which is a great example of dicta. In the early case of the Charming Betsy, which is the name of a ship, in 1804, it appears to have been assumed by this court that all persons born in the United States were citizens of the United States. Chief Justice Marshall at the time wrote, whether a person born within the United States or becoming a citizen according to the established laws of the country can divest himself absolutely of that character otherwise than in such manner as may be prescribed by law is a question which is not necessary at present to decide. Just pointing this out because that's clearly dicta. He even says so. That issue is not before the court, so it's not precedent. But the 1898 Supreme Court in Wong Kim Ark is using it as part of its argument to build its argument in support of its opinion here, which is a legitimate thing to do. Supreme Court then cites an 1833 case, which is some 30 odd years before the 14th Amendment was adopted and said, it is universally admitted, both in the English courts and in those of our own country, that all persons born within the colonies of North America, while subject to the crown of Great Britain, are natural-born British subjects. So that case was decided in 1833 by the U.S. Supreme Court. So if one had been born in 1775, you know, one year before the Declaration of Independence, he would have been 58 the year this case was decided in 1833. So this case would apply to people alive when the case was decided. People would have been born while still in colonial America were citizens of the crown at that time. The Supreme Court cites English common law in effect well before the Civil War and before the 14th Amendment. They've got a lot of evidence that citizenship is conveyed by place of birth. There are certain principles. The Supreme Court is quoting Justice Story's treatise on the conflict of laws. There are certain principles which have been generally recognized by tribunals administering public law and stated as the first of those principles, persons who are born in a country are generally deemed citizens and subjects of that country. Now remember, because I know some people like our president have said the 14th Amendment does not require birthright citizenship, but the Supreme Court has laid this out, perhaps in dicta, that even before the Civil War and before the 14th Amendment, birth provided citizenship of the place of birth. 
Therefore, according to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1898, the 14th Amendment didn't change anything except specifically allowing slaves born in the U.S. to be citizens. And that's, that's clearly the point of the 14th Amendment, because non-slaves in the U.S. Were, who were born here were already considered citizens. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court says here, but not people who were born to slave parents or descendants of slaves. They were specifically excluded from being citizens. The 14th Amendment just says, okay, we're going to include those people. It doesn't add any additional requirement on citizenship. And the Supreme Court is saying birthright citizenship existed before that. And the 14th Amendment just includes now former slaves and their children within that rule. And again, you know, if you want to talk about the modern welfare state, whether or not this is a good idea, all separate questions as to whether or not the Constitution says if you're born here, you're a citizen. The Wong Kim Art case cites Chief Justice Story again in an 1832 case. This court, the U.S. Supreme Court, speaking by Mr. Justice Story, held that the case must rest for its decision exclusively upon the principles of the common law and treated it as unquestionable that by that law, a child born in England of alien parents was a natural-born subject. Quoting the statement of Lord Coke, If an alien cometh into England and hath issued two sons, these two sons are indigene, subjects born, because they were born within the realm, and saying that such a child was a native-born subject according to the principles of the common law stated by this court. I think you get the picture being painted here. This Wong Kim Ark court goes on and on with examples like this. It seemed that this, this doctrine, hundreds of years ago, during monarchies, developed as a power of the state. So the state is declaring it has authority over your kid if he was born in that country and he, the kid, owed allegiance to the king due to his place of birth. So it was an assertion of power over people. That's where it comes from. Now, citizenship is, might be more important to the individual now than to the state or sovereign, which is where this doctrine comes from. The state was declaring its power over the child. Economic policies have changed since medieval times in the UK, no doubt, but the common law has not. The Supreme Court acknowledges this, at least in part, in 1898. They said, the sovereignty has been transferred from one man, the king, to the collective body of the people. And he who before as a subject of the king is now a citizen of the state. So they're acknowledging the change, but they still apply the rule the same way. So the 14th Amendment merely applied this doctrine, this idea to former slaves, and it expressly overruled the Dred Scott decision, the pre-Civil War Supreme Court case that said that a Negro, quoting, a Negro whose ancestors were imported into the U.S. and sold as slaves, whether enslaved or free, could not be an American citizen. So that is now been overruled by the U.S. Supreme, well, by the U.S. Constitution in the 14th Amendment. The Supreme Court goes on in Wong Kim Ark. It is beyond doubt that before the enactment or the adoption of the constitutional 14th Amendment, all white persons, at least, born within the sovereignty of the United States, whether children of citizens or of foreigners, excepting the ambassadors, etc., were native-born citizens of the United States. U.S. Supreme Court. They're not creating law. What they're doing here is citing what the law has been for hundreds of years. At least that's what they're saying it is. So beyond doubt, they said beyond doubt. It is beyond doubt that all white persons, at least, born within the sovereignty of the United States were native-born citizens of the United States. Again, beyond doubt. That's a strong phrase. And the argument is that since that this was beyond doubt prior to the 14th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment certainly did not restrict citizenship. It expanded it to include slaves. Birthright citizenship is a thing 
according to the Supreme Court. And the language subject to the jurisdiction thereof, they spend pages on that as well, and they say, in sum, quote, as appears upon the face of the amendment, as well as from the history of the times, this, the subject to the jurisdiction thereof language, this was not intended to impose any new restrictions upon citizenship or to prevent any persons from becoming citizens by the fact of birth within the United States and who would thereby have become citizens according to the law existing before its adoption. Then we've got a little bit more on dicta, citing Chief Justice Marshall again. So the Supreme Court says, It is a maxim not to be disregarded that general expressions in every opinion are to be taken in connection with the case in which those expressions are used. If they go beyond the case, they may be respected, but ought not to control the judgment in a subsequent suit when the very point is presented for decision. This citation would be helpful in distinguishing Wong Kim Ark in any future case, as we've discussed. Subject to the jurisdiction thereof excludes children of diplomats and foreigners at war with the U.S. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court says here. That's what it means. That's all. The court goes on. The foregoing considerations and authorities irresistibly lead us to these conclusions. The 14th Amendment affirms the ancient and fundamental rule of citizenship by birth within the territory, in the allegiance, and under the protection of the country, including all children here born of resident aliens, with the exceptions of two exceptions. The amendment, in clear words and in manifest intent, includes the children born within the territory of the United States of all other persons, of whatever race or color, domiciled within the United States. To hold that the 14th Amendment of the Constitution excludes from citizenship the children born in the United States of citizens or subjects of other countries would be to deny citizenship to thousands of persons of English, Scotch, Irish, German, or other European parentage who have always been considered and treated as citizens of the United States. There you have it. Strong language. So the Supreme Court in Wong Kim Ark addresses its use of statements of legislators debating the 14th Amendment, and this is legislative history, and I just want to touch on this briefly. The court says, Doubtless the intention of the Congress, which framed and of the states which adopted this amendment, the 14th Amendment, must be sought in the words of the amendment, and the debates in Congress are not admissible as evidence to control the meaning of those words. But the statements above quoted are valuable as contemporaneous opinions of jurists and statesmen upon the legal meaning of the words themselves and are at the least interesting as showing that the application of the amendment to the Chinese race was considered and not overlooked. I love this paragraph because my feelings and the misuse of legislative history as argument is documented in these podcasts, but the Supreme Court here in this 1890 case expresses my thoughts perfectly. And then the majority concludes. The evident intention and the necessary effect of the submission of this case to the decision of the court upon the facts agreed by the parties were to present for determination the single question stated at the beginning of this opinion, namely whether a child born in the United States of parent of Chinese descent, who at the time of his birth are subjects of the emperor of China, but have a permanent domicile and residence in the United States. Okay, quick aside, that's the part that people would jump on if a modern case gets to the U.S. Supreme Court to someone who was not here with a permanent domicile and residence in the United States. They're going to jump on that, and it may be sufficient. Supreme Court goes on. Does such a child become at the time of his birth a citizen of the United States? For the reasons above stated, 
This court is of opinion that the question must be answered in the affirmative. And there you have it. Wong Kim Ark was a U.S. citizen because he was born here. The 14th Amendment, according to the Supreme Court here, added no additional requirements to U.S. citizenship and birth gives citizenship, as they laid out historically, going back centuries. Now, some say this was wrongly decided, and I cited one such article for you in the notes. The other difference that may distinguish this case, if an issue gets back to the Supreme Court involving someone who was not here legally and had a child, the other difference that may distinguish this case is that Wong Kim Ark's parents were in the U.S. legally. I don't think that would make much of a difference given the language of the court, but it is something to note. I'm D.K. Williams. And this has been The Law, Episode 56, U.S. versus Wong Kim Art, dealing with the 14th Amendment and birthright citizenship. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at TheLawDKW. Hit me up there and on Facebook.com, The Law with DK Williams. I'm available. Speaking engagements, consulting, teaching, anything you might want, contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. And until next week, freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously.